Welcome to another episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. We are talking today with guest host, Justin Nod. Hey, everybody. And one of our very special guests from our Entropy team, Nick, introduce yourself. Hey, y'all. How you doing? It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So Nick has been one of our longest standing team members. He is our head of digital advertising. So he really runs everything around here as it comes to digital ads, execution, funnel visualization, all of that kind of stuff. And this is his wheelhouse that he's been years and years in. So we've got a, an expert in the field. So I'm really excited today talking about a lot of the common mistakes that unfortunately we see all the time, Nick, that clients, potential clients, organizations that we audit are doing just way too often. It's either stopping them from ever even getting off the ground not allowing them to track things properly. So they're either under assumptions that things are better than they really are. It's just all kinds of unfortunate and all too often easily avoided mistakes. I'm really excited about what we're talking about today. Yeah, me too. Me too. The unfortunate truth is that there is a lot of bad marketing out there and a lot of bad advertising and we do run into it all too often. So I think this podcast is going to help a lot of people that might be in that situation currently, try to figure out what it is that they need to do, what they need to look for. And then also maybe people that are looking to get into uh, marketing more, getting some more sophistication, getting a marketing company and just kind of help them figure out exactly what it is that they need to be looking for also. So I'm excited to get started. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's some buyer bewares too, unfortunately, that exist in the agency space that I think a lot of practices rightfully kind of make the assumption that things are being done the right way and they're not. And hopefully by listening to this, they can know what to look for, what to either avoid or identify or the questions that they should be asking so they don't get taken advantage of or spend their money in the wrong areas and blow through it and waste it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I know a lot of physicians out there either already are investing in digital advertising, thinking about investing in digital advertising. But like you said, today in this podcast, we're going to go over a lot of details. But I want to start with something that we do here at Entropy that we think is so important. And there's this catch or mistake that I think is pretty commonly made before these clients join us. And that is the fear of advertising too soon. Is that something that physicians need to be aware of? And what are ways we can avoid that mistake? Um, what would you say, Nick? Yeah, that's really one of the biggest things that we run into. The thing is that advertising and putting stuff out there is the sexy part of marketing. That's what people want to do right away. So I think a lot of times they jump the gun before doing the work that's necessary, but not so fun. What do you think are some of the big things that they all too often overlook in the excitement to generate leads? They jump in too soon and they miss. What do you think some of those key points are? Yeah. So the very first thing usually is they don't have any patient personas created and having those in place really help you identify who your target patient is. Um, demographic, where they hang out, what their pain points are, all the stuff that's going to help you or your advertising company figure out what type of ads they need to make so that your target patient will respond. I couldn't agree more. And it really, as you said, it kind of is the top-down approach. Like a lot of people miss what seems obvious, like, oh, I know who my patient is, but have you ever really defined what those buckets look like? Because say you may serve 
a geriatric style patient, but you may also like if you're in the physical therapy world, you may have the athlete, but you also may have somebody that's 55 and older that's just trying to get back on their feet post-surgery. And those messages look really different. And I've seen you, Nick, work through it as once we establish those patient personas, it really kind of everything else is affected by that, right? I mean, from how the landing pages are built to what the ads are saying, I mean, and everything in between. Yeah, absolutely. It really is the number one fundamental piece to have in place. And the funny thing is like, you know, we've worked with clients and I've worked with clients in the past too that don't really even want to answer this question (laughs) because it's not like a fun thing to do to put your thinking cap on and go through all these points. But it's such a necessary piece because it does affect exactly what you said, your landing pages, your messaging, your social media bios, everything. If you're a if you're marketing to maybe the wealthier or the upper class group of people, you want to have, and Jeff made this point, another team member about last week when we were on a call too, but using phrasing and storytelling that would attract those type of people. So talking about getting them back on the golf course, for example, that would speak more to your target audience. Exactly. Yeah. It's a really important step that a lot of people miss, unfortunately. And that's kind of where we, where we start with people when we take them on an interview for the most part. Well, when you're talking about patient personas too, so they really have to concentrate on their ideal target audience. But once they decide on that, how important is it to prepare yourself for this advertising by visualizing the layout in your funnels? Yeah, so that is, that's going to be your second step. Once you kind of figure out exactly who you're trying to target, what they are, who they are, what they care about, that's going to lead into everything else. So what your website looks like, how does the patient actually come through the funnel, meaning are they interacting with a chat bot on the website? What does that messaging look like? Do you have a retargeting in place in terms of nurture sequences and emails? What do those messaging look like in those emails? Visualizing your funnel is very important because once people start coming to you from your advertising, some of those people aren't going to convert. So if you don't focus on your funnel and you just start advertising too quickly, it's a lot greater chance that those people aren't going to convert because not everybody that comes to your site is going to convert. So if you're not focusing on how you can make those visitors actually turn into patients, if you don't have that in place, then you're already like way behind the eight ball. And that's something we see so commonly at Entropy with some of our clients is though they're excited and ready to get started with advertising, they aren't really prepared for the next steps once the advertisement is placed and these funnels and these new leads and how they're capturing this information following up. I mean, Justin, how many clients have you talked to? A lot. I mean, it's amazing when you really think about it because it is something that seems so simple is like, we'll just define who your customer is and give them a name and a face, so to speak. And then after that, make sure that you know what your goal is, what you're trying to accomplish through your campaigns and all of it. And it seems simple, but people just jump past all of those steps and immediately just, I want leads, let's spend money, let's put some ads together and some graphics and they hit the ground running and they have no baselines at all. And I mean, we get Nick, through our processes, I mean, we do this, not only we put our money where our mouth is, we do this as an agency, not just for our clients, but when we're executing on ad spends and stuff, I mean, Nick's gone through the process with me, is we literally map out what the entire funnel needs to look like. And that's for everything. If we're trying to get practice assessments or whatever it could be, because we're not only going to want to make sure that we're closing the loop 
So if somebody converts at this step, but they don't make an ultimate purchase decision, what happens to them? They need to get into a nurture sequence. What if they get all the way through this step and they don't convert? Maybe they need to be retargeted with a social ad. And the more you map that out, the more you really can clearly define and have a tighter, not only funnel, but customer journey. So you have all of the touch points on that time continuum. Because a lot of people, they just go out, try the shotgun blast approach, get patients through the door. The ones that don't book appointments, it's like, well, who cares about those? And they're never retargeted to, they're never put in their nurture sequences because they never sat down and actually thought what that should look like. And so nothing happens to them. And I think that's a common problem is just, I think practices need to take a step back and assess what am I trying to do? Who are we going after? Based on that information, is a quiz going to work best? Is a downloadable going to work best? Is a direct appointment booking request going to work best? Is driving them to video or content assets on our website going to work best? I mean, those are questions that you answer and you find out as you go through these discovery sessions. Well, and you bring up such a good point, both of you, in talking about training your staff as well on the process. Nick, what advice do you have as the execution person when discussing this with clients, how important is training during this advertising process? To mention quickly, one more point on the last uh, point that we talked about, it's the ad's job to get people to the website. And that's pretty much it. Great point. Very true. Yeah. The ad's not going to sell people right away, at least most of the time. Sometimes you'll get lucky and and you'll get a, a conversion from a cold ad, somebody who's never interacted with you before. But most of your conversions are going to come from your warm or your hot audiences, meaning people that have had some sort of interaction with your brand in the past, whether that's engaging with uh, an ad, a social media post, going to your website, so be it. But most of your, your money is going to be spent on cold ads, but most of your conversions are going to be from your hot or your warm audiences. So I just wanted to mention that point briefly. Yeah, it's a great point. You forget about the back half of the funnel, like you said, which is where you really make the money and your ROI comes from. And so everybody's focused on the catch-all at the front with cold leads, but forget the back end is really where Mm -hmm. the money is made, so to speak. Exactly. And then going into training your staff, it's definitely vital, especially if your staff is going to be fielding these leads. We've worked with clients in the past that skipped that step and they started getting a bunch of leads and the staff wasn't prepared. So <laughs> yeah, we've you know, definitely seen that. <laughs> yeah. You can imagine what happens, but yeah, it, you definitely want to not only your sales team or the people that are handling your leads, but just, I think it's a good practice to inform, you know, your team in general in terms of how the company's doing, what the company's focusing on now. I think that just helps build company culture across the board. So yeah, it's definitely a good point. And I love that you said company culture across the board, because it's so true with anything with marketing. And I know it's a lot of the liaisons I work with, healthcare marketing and admins. It's really important that everyone understands kind of the marketing initiatives, how to communicate with these patients, these new leads. And if you're running some kind of campaign that maybe is a little bit different, that they're fully aware of the campaign and how to interact with these patients. But like you said, making sure there's those follow-up processes that may look different than somebody else who just went online and and called in for somebody who landed on the ad and was really interested in this particular advertisement. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think another point that I wanted to bring up and get your thoughts on, Nick, is there a lot of times when we go in and we do audits and evaluations or we take on clients that have run existing ads, whether they're with an agency or DIYing it themselves, 
a lot of times it's, there's just like the dreaded homepage catch all or whatever it is where Mm. they're just, they're spending X amount of dollars every month and they're just driving traffic to one area. It doesn't matter what the ads say or what they're focused on or if it's a discount or not a discount. There's just no specificity for lack of a better term of what the user needs to, if they're going from an ad, see on a landing page and talk a little bit about that because it's always your, I think the more you assume that a patient's going to figure it out on their own, the less effective your ads are going to be. I totally agree. I mean, I think this also goes back to just the, the not sexy part of the job, which is building out multiple landing pages, depending on uh, what your ad's talking about and then who your ad is speaking to. Um, so if you're selling or if you're targeting a different service line, for example, like orthopedics or a broken arm or arthritis, you want to have specific landing pages that speak to uh, the person who's going to be interested in that service. You don't want to, you know, just dump some on the homepage and have them do the work. You want to do all the work for them. So it's the easiest possible way, the lowest barrier of entry, the least hurdles they have to jump over to be able to contact you. So yeah, building out specific landing pages for each type of ad is definitely one of those things that, you know, most people don't do. And it could be a game changer in terms of conversion rates for, for a lot of different accounts. Yeah, I I completely agree. It's just, you've got to with consumers and patients are consumers of a specific type. And just like you would with an e-commerce site or any other site, you have to put blinders on the patients because They have low attention spans, they're easily distracted, and they make very quick decisions. So somebody will jump into a page, if you make it more difficult than it needs to be to find the answers that correlate to what they were searching, they're going to bounce out, they're going to move on, and they're going to find somebody who can answer their question because they're used to Google answering that question for them. Immediate gratification. So if they're looking to book an appointment with you or get their menopause symptoms under control or whatever it better communicate exactly that where they're landing and communicate your differentiators, your value adds and whatever else correlates with those campaigns or they'll go and they'll find some, they're not going to spend minutes or hours on your site deducting what it is that you do and the value you can create for them. Absolutely. Get really specific. And that's really important for the healthcare providers and marketing professionals listening is making sure like what Justin and Nick are talking about, that you are putting the information in front of them as soon as possible so that they don't leave the page to go find it somewhere else. But one of the biggest mistakes I have to bring up is something that I talk with my physicians all the time about and my liaisons and my marketing professionals. And that is there is a serious lack of transparency when it comes to understanding your AdWords marketing. As far as they aren't seeing what they should be seeing. What are the analytics? What are the metrics? How often, you know, this kind of transparency is so important to have a successful ads campaign. Can you guys talk a little bit more about how important the transparency is, what they need to be looking for, and how to communicate this to the team that they work with so that they can stay on it and feel pretty good about what they're investing in? Sure. I'm, I'm excited to hear what Nick has to say for this because it is shocking how many people know so little about the money that they're spending in this space. And all they got to do is either ask or go in. Either way, it's the, the agency's responsibility should be reporting that from transparency, which we'll get into. But 
Yeah, Nick, I love your thoughts because this is always when we walk into a situation, it's like you have no idea what you're spending your money on or what you're getting for it. Like nothing, but can you even like, could you grant us access? No, no, we don't have access. What? I know it is sad, really. It's crazy. There's a, I'd like to give them a bit of the benefit of the doubt because a lot of the people that we talk to, they have their plates overfilled with stuff oh, that they have to do. Sure. Yeah. So I, I, I do understand, but. And you're paying good money to assume that that's like, you shouldn't have to be lording over that. But unfortunately, right. a lot of times you should. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you don't know what's going on, if you don't know where your money's going, if you don't know what results they're bringing back, you're essentially letting the wolf watch the hen house is what they say, I think. So, you know, you can choose not to, but. If you choose not to, then, you know, you can pretty much imagine the results that you're going to get and it's not going to be an ideal situation. So I think, you know, transparency is you know, one of the major pieces of the puzzle. That's something that I think, you know, how we do business, it's assumed because, you know, we're the type of people that giving people transparency is just second nature uh, to us here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, it's, it's good to see that you know, a lot of people that, that come to us when they start working with us, that's really the, one of the commonalities that a lot of the clients share prior to working with us. And it's, it's good to be able to kind of transition them away from that and into really a, an honest way of doing business and something that, you know, really makes us proud here to be able to provide you know, insight into exactly what's going on, why we're not only what's going on, but also the strategy behind it. So why we're doing what we're doing, how we think we can get better results month over month, what didn't work, what is working, how we're going to shift. I think that information alone helps the people that we report to, you know, our customers be able to do their jobs better because they have to ultimately report to somebody else and if they don't know what's going on, I imagine when they report to somebody else, it makes their job a lot harder. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you brought up some examples, actually, when you were talking on some of the things that if you don't know this, dot, 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 those are some really good examples of somebody who might be listening right now. What are some good, if you don't know, questions that they could be asking themselves that they can decide during this podcast? Maybe I am lacking the transparency I need from my digital advertising team. Like you said, if you don't know your logins, if you don't know. I think the first and foremost is you should at all, they are your assets. And it's always an interesting thing. Like if you have an agency and you don't have access right now and you reach out to them and ask them, like, again, there's levels of it. Like I'm a firm believer too. Like I don't want clients going in and start just like messing with campaigns and stuff. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously agencies are protective of the standpoint of we don't want, but as far as purely from having the spare key to your car, so to speak, and being able to ask for that and have the right to go in and, and look under the hood without touching things kind of thing. If you can't get that, it's a huge red flag to me. It starts with that. Like it's, it's amazing how all too often we ask and like, no, our agency won't give us access to that. It's like, well, it's your property. Yeah. You're the one spending the money. So I don't, I'm not confused by that. What else would you add? I agree with Justin. Also, it, it sucks when they can't have access to it because all of that history and all that data is essentially lost and, and held hostage, which in advertising marketing data is, you know, super important, obviously. So if you're spending all that time and, and money and history for it just to be held hostage, it's a bad situation. 
And Nick, what, what do you think? So say they go out and they fix this or they already do have access and they're not, I mean, they're hiring an agency or somebody internally to execute on them. But as an executive, say it's a office manager or a CMO or whoever may be listening to this, what are the metrics? Like if they do get access or if an agency is sending them reporting, what should they be looking at to understand the health of their digital ad spend? What are those metrics that once they do get access and they should have access to that they should be paying attention to? Right. So number one is going to be your conversions, whether that's phone calls, form fills, um, appointments being booked, you name it, uh, your ultimate valuable action that you want somebody to take when they interact with you, your conversion, that's going to be your number one. And then I would also back into conversion rates. And then I would also jump on Google and type in um, whatever platform you're advertising on, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or Google, type in that platform and then type in conversion rates with your industry. And you can see there's a lot of data on all those platforms. Benchmark your conversion rate against the industry standard conversion rate for that specific platform. So you can kind of see if you're doing better or worse, whatever the case may be. I would also look at your click-through rates because your click-through rate is going to tell you if your ad is being targeted to the right person and if your ad is good enough for them to catch their attention and then for them to want to click on it to go through the next step. Um, I would also look at your cost because we talked about a lot of people don't really have a, a window into their cost. A lot of people don't even know what they're spending. So other than that, you know, there's a ton more metrics. I would say those would probably be the top four as to not overwhelm anybody. So you're going to want to look at conversions, conversion rate, click-through rate, and also your cost. And I think it's critical to because this is another, I think, common mistake when you get more granular into the conversions themselves is if you're doing it or you're having an agency doing it, um, if you're running ad types that calls are an option, so appointment books or, or screenings or whatever it may be, you need to make sure that you're tracking calls, not only through extensions, but on your website as well. There's tons of services out there that can do it. A lot of agencies like us offer it as well. But a lot of people, they just track form data and they even track that wrong too. So there's like all these types of inefficiencies and and lack of accurate conversion data. So I think you need to make sure not only that you're tracking your form conversions properly, that you're tracking your call data properly Mm -hmm. as well. So you're seeing the full picture of what's really going on. Uh, because that's that's really critical and all too often we see that. And speak to Nick even one step further without getting too complicated. As Google has become smarter algorithmically, it's taking into consideration your conversion metrics as far as your positioning of getting close to that number one spot, right? Yeah. The playing field keeps getting more and more crowded. So Google is going to use every tool that they can to try to determine which company to show over another company. So uh, without getting too much into it, you essentially need to have all the options as optimized as possible. So the more conversions that you can track, like Justin mentioned, phone calls, form fills, chat bots, chats to leads, that sort of thing, the more conversions you can track, then the higher conversion rate can be. And then the bigger the signal is to Google that, you know, maybe they'll show your ad over the, the next guy because your ads convert a lot higher than theirs do. 
That's a great point. I don't think a lot of people are even aware of that is by not doing the things the right way, you're actually hurting yourself from an optimization and the amount of impressions you can get, how much you're showing, and ultimately how many conversions you're getting by not tracking your conversions properly, that it actually does can do damage and will continue to probably do more damage as Google gets smarter and smarter and more people enter the ads playing field so they have to use other ways to discern who's doing it the right way and who's doing it the best for their end user who is the searcher. Yeah, exactly. I mean, their whole platform is built off of showing you the best possible answer at that very moment. So they're in the search experience game for sure. Yeah. So the minute that they start showing people the wrong answer or the not the best answer, then they're losing their audience and they're going to go to somewhere else. So Google's whole goal is, is to be able to discern and pick the best person uh, for that specific search. So yeah, just lends to the point that we were talking about before. Well, what about some tracking red flags? You're tracking your ads. You know what to track. What do you need to be looking for to make sure that everything is still going smoothly or that you can reinvest or grow? What are some red flags that you see that they should be aware of if they're tracking? Yeah, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought it up because I had this thought, but I forgot it in our conversation. But one of the biggest red flags is, in my opinion, is having too many conversions. I've seen a lot of, yeah, I've seen a lot of accounts where marketing companies have it set up or the person has it set up incorrectly where they're tracking like things that aren't really necessarily valuable, like time on page. So if somebody spends three minutes on the page, yes, that's a good thing, but does that mean that they're going to become a patient or they already did become a patient or they're going to give you a call? Not necessarily. So I've seen accounts where, you know, there might be 50, 60, 70 people a week that are spending three minutes on a page, but only 10 or 15 of those people actually end up calling or filling out a form or what have you. So it looks like they're getting conversions at like a dollar a piece because there's 50 conversions, but really it was only 50 people that spent three minutes on the page. Uh, And that's just one example. It's a great example. Definitely something to look out for. And I think another important thing too is, and this is what a good agency is part of the monthly management of ad accounts is things can just break. I mean, it's just kind of the nature of a marketing funnel and ecosystem. It just can happen no matter what you do, whether like your site core files, if it's on WordPress, get updated and it drops the conversion tracking uh, code out of the head for some reason. But I think it's always a good probably practice to audit your conversion tracking too, to ensure that it's firing. It's something that we do. And it's something that I think organizations should be doing just to make sure that things are accurate. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, sometimes pages get built out, new pages, and they don't have the form fill button. They don't have the phone number on there. It just slipped the person's mind for whatever reason. So yeah, it's definitely a great idea to continuously audit. I would say at least like once every couple of weeks, if not, then once a month at the least, um, just go through, make sure your phone number switching. If you're using a call tracking system, make sure that your forms are submitting properly and they're not having any issues. Good point. Well, with all these leads and tracking, and now that we are paying attention to our conversions and making sure we're tracking properly, some of the things we see here at Entropy with our physicians is these leads dying on the vine, as we say. And those are 
the leads that you pay for with your Google ads that are never followed up with. So can you talk a little bit more about what it means when leads are dying on the vine, Nick? Yeah, I love the terminology dying on the vine. It's important. I mean, like we talked about before, you know, your the ads job is to get people to the website and that's pretty much all it can do. It's then your website's job to get them to convert and then it's your sales team or your people in charge of reaching back out to them to make sure that they actually come in the door. So what I like to say is in terms of advertising and targeting cold, warm, or hot audiences, which you mentioned before, is you want to kind of think of advertising in terms of dating, right? So you never want to ask somebody to marry you on the first date. So if you, if you apply that, I mean, maybe, maybe you do, maybe it's love at first sight. I've seen a, a show on TLC, Married <laughs> at First Sight, I think it's called. Yeah, in today's world, people will say yes. <laughs> exactly. So if we take the traditional route, I guess we could say, you want to date people with your ads before you ask them to marry, before you ask them to commit. So for most industries, it's going to take a bit of time before somebody actually converts or becomes a patient. So what you want to do is make sure that you have all of the touch points in place to be able to interact with that potential patient throughout their buying or their um, patient process, I guess you could say. So that means once somebody comes to your website from an ad or from any source for that matter, you want to have retargeting set up. That way you can reach back out to them and, and get back in front of them on different platforms, wherever they go on the web through cookies. So those ads, we can, you know, we can probably do a whole nother episode about this in terms of a sales funnel. Yeah. And for a quick, for any listeners out there wondering what retargeting is, that's the wonderful experience when you like go on Amazon or something and you look for a product and then the product follows you around in the sidebars or you see it on social media, on your Facebook feed or your Instagram retargeting you or you've gone on smile direct looking to get your teeth straightened and all of a sudden you have Instagram ads being served to you. That is what Nick is talking about when it comes to retargeting. And that's really important because you've done the hard work of getting the cold traffic to your site and then you can use retargeting, which ultimately converts for a lot cheaper to get them back through the door as you continue to warm them up. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it, it's the most expensive advertising that you're going to do is going to be to get new customers. And the cheapest advertising you're going to do is to remarket and to retarget people that have interacted with you before or upsell your existing customers. I love that. Exactly. That's so true. Yeah. So that's pretty much what leads dying on the vine. That's how to stop it. That's how to keep your leads thriving on the vine, you could say. <laughs> As well as talk about outside of remarketing. So once you have collected that patient information, so they've given you their email or whatever, but even in a really, really well-optimized or well-performing campaign, you may have 30% of your people actually booking and converting, whether it's online in a telemedicine visit or it's walking through the door, you still got up to 70 to 80 of those 100 leads that come in that are just sitting there. You have their information, but they need to get in nurture sequences. So talk a little bit about email nurture sequencing at a high level as far as getting them into some type of a drip campaign. Yeah, I love email, man. Email still works really well. Uh, it had a bad rap for a while, but it, it, email just plain old works and it's cheap. Agreed. I use email all the time. 
Yeah, it's huge. And, and the thing is, when you have an email list, that's yours, you know? Once you advertise, when you stop paying for advertising, that's when your ads stop showing up. So it's kind of a catch-22 because, you know, once you stop feeding it, it stops feeding you. Yep. But when you have an email list, that's yours. You can reach out to those people. You can always go back to the well. Yeah, yep. however or whenever you want. So email's great. Email sequences are, drip sequences are an amazing tool. This all kind of leads back to wanting to advertise too soon and not having these sort of segmentation in place. Um, so this is also a, a big piece of the fundamental advertising marketing process. But yeah, what you want to do is depending on your lead generator, so you could have quizzes, PDFs, we talked about a few of them, webinars, that sort of thing, whatever's going to get you that person's email, you want to create maybe a, a simple Email trip sequence would be like six different emails that would go out usually over a week span. And what you're going to do with that email sequence is essentially break down their barriers of entry and establish you as the thought leader and establish empathy between you and the potential patient. Let them know that, you know, you understand their problems, you've been in their shoes you exist to be able to solve their problems and you do so this, this, and this way, that sort of thing. And then kind of ask for a hard sell. And build that really, like and trust relationship. Yeah. I, know. I think that that's really important in healthcare, maybe as much as any other vertical is patient care. And the point of patient care is as intimate as things could be. So developing a no like and trust relationship is really, really important because a patient has to get over the hump and be willing to trust you with their health and wellness for whatever it may be, big or small. And that's a really big decision. I mean, there's costs involved, whether it's insurance and co-pays. I mean, it's just not- Well, you want to be a resource center yeah. as well. You want them to build trust with their physicians, get answers to their questions, find you guys as the hub of resources when it comes to healthcare instead of going online and reading some And if you're trying to visualize it, here's a really good kind of case study example that Nick built out for one of our clients. It's in the OBGYN, like women's health space. So they were trying to grow their menopause treatment area. So bioidentical hormones and all of that, it's covered well by insurance. And we knew there was kind of two tracks that we could take when it came here. So we ran ads that were more kind of direct response ads. So those were like book an appointment today. Like you've got, like I've got menopause and I'm looking for somebody to help me with fix the symptoms and fix what I'm dealing with. So you had those and those would convert say at 30 to 35 ish bucks um, per appointment. Uh, which is really great considering what the reimbursement rate for the practice was from insurance. But on the other side, we also knew too, we could test out quiz. So we created a menopause, a symptomatic-based menopause quiz that women could answer that would find out should they be looking at some type of solution to treat their menopause if they potentially have it based on what they answered in the quiz. Those were converting at between $1 to $2 a piece. So massive, massive, massive cost differences. But the difference is, is that when somebody is requesting a book appointment, you know where they are in the funnel. They're in they're at the end of the funnel. They're ready to make a purchase. They're ready to walk through the door. But on the other side, just because somebody fills a quiz out does not mean that they're ready to just come in and get blood tests done and do a menopause screening and go through all of the processes that are involved in it. Some may, but 90% a bulk majority will not be. They're very, very what we call top of funnel. So they're looking for 
answers. So we got them in an eight touch point nurture sequence that educated them not only what our client is all about, but giving them valuable insights that will make them healthier, things that they can do to to help with the symptoms, what people are doing from a treatment protocol standpoint, all these things, which is just not only keeping our client front of mind, but it's further solidifying that our client is an expert in the field of treating menopause. And it took several touch points, as Nick alluded to, in several weeks sometimes to convert these people. But when we ultimately did, we were converting them at a fraction of the cost, nearly 95% less on a per conversion rate value standpoint. And all we needed to do was set up a value-based email nurture sequence to get them get them into the funnel and start educating them. And so that that's a good kind of example of what the power of email can do if you're ultimately build out a good funnel, you go through the right visualization, you understand who your end consumer is, that you can get really, really cheap, effective leads and you can get them in a nurture sequence and ultimately convert them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I like the point that you, that you brought up about the retargeting being able to drive down cost of conversions because I think that's a really key point because if you don't have those things set up, you know, then your cost per conversion is going to be a lot higher. So it makes sense to do the work on the front end to have this stuff set up, even though it's not fun for the most part for people. Um, You know, I really enjoy kind of getting my hands dirty and getting into this sort of stuff, but we're a rare breed. So doing the work on the front end really kind of helps ultimately, you know, really drive down monetary conversion costs at the end of the day. So it's an important piece for sure. Talk to me a little. I think there's another really, really basic, basic thing that people do wrong, and that's choosing the wrong platform to advertise on. Yeah. And there's a couple different factors to consider. Most people, they just jump to Google because everybody advertises on Google. But what should influence the decision-making process of which platform is going to be right for them to spend their ad dollars on? Yeah, totally. What you want to understand is number one, we're going back to who your customer is because when you understand that, you can understand how to target them. Some of these platforms vary in the types of targeting that you can do. Some of the platforms you can, you know, really target a certain type of people's interests or a job title or that sort of thing. And then others you can't. So the way that I always go about recommending the ad platform is first understanding who their customer is so I can find out what their interests are, what they care about, where they hang out, that sort of thing, physically or digitally, and then use that information to pick the ad platform. Yeah, you definitely want to make sure that you're using the information in front of you to target your right audience. So One of the things too, I want to mention, because I have seen this with our clients and I know I get a lot of questions about this. When you're investing in ads, there is bailing too soon. Now, a lot of people don't understand that this takes time. So I was hoping, Nick, that you could shed some light on how important it is when you make this investment in your marketing that you don't bail too soon and give it some time to create those results you're looking for. Yeah, because I think a lot of people are under the assumption that it's build it and they will come. And that's just not the case. Definitely not the case. Yeah, totally. I think, (laughs) at least in my opinion, a lot of the, um, a lot of what's controlling that thought is these ads that you see on Facebook and, and Instagram for people that 
tell you that they made a million dollars last month by selling keychains off Shopify and how simple it was. <laughs> and all you got to do is watch their five minute webinar. What are we doing talking about this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it seems so easy. Marketing in general just seems so, so easy to people. But you know, even in this podcast, we've, we've, got, we've just come, we pretty much just touched the surface of one aspect of marketing and you know, it, it goes deep. So I think that, you know, since people think it's so simple, build it and it'll come, so to speak, they want results right away. So I always say that you should pick a budget that you would be okay with losing in two months worth if everything went wrong and nothing worked for you. It didn't break you. It didn't bankrupt the company. It didn't get you fired. (laughs) It was just something that you could afford to test because advertising is essentially a test. You don't know what's going to work and you don't know what is going to work. So when you set up campaigns, what we do is we try to get as much data as we can, try to fully understand the company and their values, their goals, their differentiators, try to ensure that all of the pieces of the puzzle are in place. Like we talked about uh, with remarketing, with making sure that landing pages are specific, doing that fundamental work so that when we do start advertising, it starts to work quicker than it would if we did do those things first. So if you pick a budget that you'd be okay with spending two months worth and having nothing happen, that's what I would suggest starting with. But that's kind of a double-edged sword because you can't just pick 300 bucks, so to speak. (laughs) And you you wouldn't have enough skin in the game at that point. So what we'll do is a forecast depending on which ad platform we think would work best for people and tell them, hey, you know, we think that you know, this, this budget would get enough skin in the game. And if that sounds good to you, you can afford to spend that over two months, then that's what we'll go with. But, you know, if you ever get in touch with a marketing person or an agency that is telling you they can guarantee your results, that's a red flag because yeah, yeah, I agree. nobody can. <laughs> I think something that was interesting, even that something that you preached a lot to me and even, even taught me is how long it takes and i and i have this conversation with potential clients all the time that we're relying on good data and that's what makes good decisions whether it's seo or it's sem good agencies good marketers rely on good data and so we need enough time to collect enough good data so like we were talking about earlier we don't bail too soon on something that is working we just don't have enough data yet and i think a lot of people panic and hit the off switch or the ramp up switch before they allow enough time to understand really what's working, test it right, and then know, okay, it's time to shut this down or ramp this up based on the feedback. And I think that's something that you've taught me is we tell a lot of our clients, it's going to take 90 days to ultimately optimize campaigns. That does not mean it's going to take that long to, to bring in leads and be effective. It means we need that time in order to get enough data back to make the best decisions possible with the investments you're making in advertising. And I think that was really interesting that you've always really kind of focused on and preached is I, I'm not, we obviously have industries and verticals that we've been focused in and we know how to communicate, how to go about things the right way, but there's always variables we can't predict, whether it's geographical or it's something like COVID changing the way people are thinking. There's always variables that are out of our control that we need to rely on data to explain to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're 100% right. I appreciate the kind words. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, I think it's just always really important as people don't understand that really, really good marketing strategy campaigns are all predicated on what the data is telling us. And you need enough time to get enough of that good data back to make rational decisions Mm -hmm. with your money so you can maximize the return on the investment that you're making. Yeah. I mean, in an ideal world, speaking towards Google ads, in an ideal world, if we had, you know, $20,000, to spend each month, we'd be able to get data in really quickly. Yeah, real we'd quick. Be able to, <laughs> we'd be able to make quick decisions and say, okay, this is not working. This is working. But, you know, that's a bit idealistic. Most of the time, we don't have budgets that big. I think that's a great point is that listeners need to have a realistic understanding of what your budgets are based on our forecasting. And the lower that that level is, the longer it's going to take to get good data in, like you just mentioned. Yeah. Because I mean, the thing is, you can't bid on every single keyword that you think might work for your business uh, with without having a, bu- a budget that's sky high. Yep. So very good point. What we'll do, what we do is start with the ones that we think would be closest to convert the people at the closest to being at the bottom of the funnel, ready to purchase, uh, start turning a profit there and then expand into uh, more top of the funnel, middle of the funnel and top of the funnel audiences. Um, people that are kind of still prospecting for your services, so to speak. And then you could even also broaden out into geographic areas too. So start with your highest converting geographic areas, whether that be certain cities or certain states, um, and then expand into national if doing something like telemedicine, for example. Yeah. And you guys bring up such good points. And for anyone listening, it is about data. It's about preparation, laying out the proper funnels, training your staff, definitely tracking the process, but giving it time and creating that patient persona. I mean, how many times did Nick keep going back? I mean, it all starts there. So I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Nick. He's one of our very important team members here at Entropy and good friends. And we just couldn't do it without them. And thank you, Justin, so much for joining me today and both of you for your digital marketing genius. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's latest episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify, or you can sign up to receive the latest episode via email. Just check it out on my agency website or my personal website. And if you are looking for more amazing healthcare marketing information or just to engage, check us out at entropy.com. And for any of my amazing physician liaisons out there interested in growing their physician referrals or learning the strategies that it takes to build highly engaged physician referral networks. Check out my website, kellynot.com, where I have free webinars, free downloads, and of course, my online physician liaison training course, Physician Liaison University. And as always, I'm a huge believer in connecting, engaging, and supporting one another. And the best way we can do that is networking. And I always, always connect with you guys on social media. And one of my biggest social media platforms is LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter at Kelly Knott. And thank you guys again for listening to the Patient Convert Podcast with your host, Kelly Knott.